This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 336 with Bonnie May. Show notes from this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 336. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Shameless Moms. We have a really special guest with us today. I think it was at the beginning of 2019, maybe a little bit before that. I put up a post mentioning that I wanted to have some shameless moms from our community come on the podcast and talk about specific topics that maybe have impacted them. And one of those topics was domestic violence. And I got an email from Bonnie, our guest today, saying that she was ready to share her story and she would be honored to do it on the Shameless Mom Academy. So we got on the phone actually got on Zoom. We got on Zoom. We had a conversation. We talked through her story. And as she was sharing, I was like, yes, you are ready to come on the show and share this story. You'd be a great fit. This is a natural next step for what you're already doing in terms of how you are showing up and bravely sharing your story in other spaces already. And so we decided to do it. And She's a little nervous about sharing the story. So I want to create a lot of space for us to just say that, Bonnie, we love you. We adore you. Bonnie, since deciding to come on and share her her story, has also joined Momentum Mamas. So she's in that community. She's active in our private Facebook group. 
that's free for everyone over at Shameless Mom every damn day. And then she's also super active in Momentum Mamas. And she recently flew on a plane for the first time to come to Shameless Mom Con. So I mean, this lady is like, (laughs) just stepping out of her comfort zone in every way possible in the last six months or so. And I am here for it. Like it's been amazing, amazing to watch Bonnie make a decision to grow and evolve and make big shifts in her life to help other people and to see how it's really helped her step into her power along the way. So let me tell you a little bit about Bonnie May. Bonnie is a shameless mom to two sons, ages 10 and 12, as well as a survivor and warrior of an abusive relationship that spanned 10 years. She has a passion for advocating for the needs and safety of her children, as well as herself. She has an associate's degree in human services, and she used to think that she wasn't putting her degree to good use until recently, when she decided to take the bold, brave steps to become an educator and speaker to youth and young adults, teaching around all issues related to domestic violence. She teaches the warning signs of abusive behavior, offers advice on how to safely get out of abusive relationships, and coaches around the impact of abuse on one's life. She speaks at various organizations as well as middle and high schools. And she's posted in our Facebook group, in all of the Facebook groups that we have for the Shameless Mom Academy, she's posted about her speaking engagements and about having the power of having middle school and high school kids come up to her afterwards and say, like, some of these things are happening at my house and I don't know what to do about it. And I can't think of a more brave and powerful way to impact a young person's life than to give them a safe place to share their story and to tell them that it's not their fault and to tell them that you want to be someone who can support them and guide them potentially to a safer place and be there to support them through that. So listen in to hear Bonnie share how she internalized emotional abuse and believed she was as worthless as her husband told her she was why she stayed with her abusive partner for seven years, and how abusers manipulate their victims. She's going to share her rock bottom moment and how she finally got her kids and herself safely out of her husband's grip. She's going to talk about the steps leading up to terminating her ex-husband's parental rights, which just happened recently, how she talks to her kids about their family's abusive past, the impactful new direction her past is giving to her current life, and her top recommendations to women who might currently find themselves in abusive relationships. So I'm so grateful for Bonnie for coming on the show and sharing her story and her truth. I know that her story is going to touch other people. And she's definitely open to connecting with you. So if you go to the show notes for this episode over at shamelessmom.com, click on episode 336. And you can see where you can connect with Bonnie if you want to reach out and connect with her privately. I know she's very open and available to those conversations. She really wants to be a resource. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have a story or want to just connect with her for some support. So with all that said, let's go ahead and dive in with Bonnie May. Bonnie May, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I am excited to be here doing this. This is going to be really exciting. I want to let everyone know how we got connected. So I put over on in our private Facebook group, Shameless Mom Every Damn Day, I put a note up saying that I wanted to dive into some serious, uncomfortable topics this year around things like addiction and abuse and abortion and like all sorts of like just super uncomfortable things. Infidelity was one of them. And people started reaching out and saying, Hey, I'd love to talk about this. And like, let's get it scheduled. And you were someone who reached out and said, I have a story around 
abuse around domestic violence that I would be open to talking about on the show. And then from there, like before we can even get this scheduled, you started just like signing up for public speaking, talking about this. And yeah, it all just kind of happened. I know. And now I have to tell her, like, I have to just brag for a minute because by the time we got this scheduled, you had already booked all these other places to talk. So you were talking at your kid's school two times yesterday and two yep. times today we're sandwiching this interview in between two other talks you're giving around this topic so you were like all in on spreading the word which i just think is so amazing and powerful well thank you it's amazing to be doing it it's, i love it it's pretty clear that it's your zone of genius when <laughs> well, and you were saying when you got done with the talk yesterday so bonnie's also in momentum mamas and she posted yesterday when she got done, she's like, I feel high from doing my first talk. I'm like, that's how you know it's zone of genius. Like you're doing the thing you're meant to be doing. Yeah. I never like knew the whole zone of genius thing. And then you posted like, that's your zone of genius. I'm like, Oh, that's what she was talking about. Yep. Yep. We'll be talking more about zone of genius at shameless mom con for sure. But yeah, that's what it is when you're like, I'm doing this thing that a lot of people would say is super hard and scary and it feels really good. And for you, you're talking about your experience in domestic violence saying this feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. People listening might be like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So so we're going to dive into your whole story. And so we'll talk through your story, where things started out, how they evolved. And obviously we'll talk about how things got really, really difficult and dangerous. And then we'll come back to where we are today and back to this place where we're like joking about how easy it is for you to talk about this. So so that our listeners aren't like, wait, why are we laughing about this? So let's go ahead and start with, I want to start with early on in your marriage. Tell us about what your marriage looked like, how things were in the beginning and how things changed over time. So the marriage started out good. I mean, right before we got married, I think it's important to say that there was a physical altercation probably like four months prior to getting married. But I thought, you know, yeah, it was a one-time thing. He was drunk and he told me, you know, it won't happen again. So I ended up getting married. I was 19 years old. He was 21. Even when we were dating, he did drink. I did not drink. But then he turned 21 and the drinking got worse. And since he was of age to drink, then obviously he was going to bars all the time and whatnot. And during the first two years of marriage, I'd say things were okay. We would have minor fights, but I thought that was normal. Like, you don't get along all the time with your partner. You're going to have fights. So I thought, nah, I don't know any better, you know. And in 2006, our first child was born. And I'm like, okay, first child's born. Maybe the drinking will slow down. Like, this is our cue to grow up a bit. And his drinking actually got worse. Mm. Was, there, and, was there violence in the time between getting married and the baby being born? No, there was no okay. physical things. It was more just like the name calling, the control. Okay. Um, so emotional abuse. Was, right. Okay. And when the baby was born, we fought over things like, okay, well, our baby did not like to sleep during the night. Mm. So we fought over like, who's going to take care of the baby at night? Whose turns it to get up? Mm-hmm. Who's going to do the dishes? You know, like the household stuff. And I thought, this is probably normal because when you add in a baby, there's going to be high stress things, right? Trying to adjust to that whole mom life. But it didn't get any better because I thought like, okay, maybe the first couple months will be rocky. Not, you know, not a big deal. We'll go through it. It didn't get better. He didn't like to help out with the baby, would tell me that it was my kid. It was my job to take care of the baby. I pretty much took on all the roles of caring for the baby and all the housework while he went to work, came home and drank. He was definitely calling me names, you know, derogatory names. 
Did you recognize that emotional abuse as emotional abuse or not? No, no. Being in this whole situation, I didn't see any of it. Like they say love is blind. Mm -hmm. Yep, it is. Like that is a true statement. Like I didn't see any of it. Looking back, I'm like, oh my God, like there was so many red flags. And how did you rationalize it in your mind when he was being emotionally abusive and calling you names? I believed it. I'm like, wow, I must really be that way because I am very big on thinking or worrying about what people think of me. Mm. So when people say those things to me, I'm like, oh, I must really be that bad or I must really be that ugly or, you know, like whatever the case may be, like he would call me stupid or not a good mother. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not a good mother. Maybe it is my fault that the baby's crying and I can't console them, you know, so I didn't see it as emotional. I thought it was that's just who I was as as a person. Like, Mm. oh, this is how he sees me. And after the first two years, I would say the trust was slowly diminishing. He would go through my contacts on my phone, see who I was talking to. Back then, I didn't have a smartphone. So I used my computer a lot, and he would go through the internet history to see what I was doing. And he would accuse me of cheating. And I'm like, I'm not cheating on you. Like, I don't have time. I'm working full time, and we have a child. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have time to cheat on you. Right. And I would have to ask permission to go places like my mom and I, my mom played a big role in like being there for me and helping take care of this child because I didn't know what I was doing. And he would get mad if I would even go to my mom's house. Why are you going there? What are you guys doing together? When are you coming home? Like lots of control. And my mom would point it out to me and be like, why does he need to know these things? Like, don't even answer him. But I didn't listen to her because I was like, I know what I'm doing. It's fine. You know. Mm So, I mean, she definitely tried to point out to me and I just didn't listen. And between like 2007, 2008, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I want to leave. It was a pride thing. My parents are divorced. My brothers got divorced. My sisters have been divorced. I'm like, I'm not going to be the person that gets divorced in our family. So I really wanted to stay for that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't bring myself to leave because I didn't want to be seen as a failure of, oh, you're just like the rest of us. You get divorced after you get married, you know? So it was February 2008, and he had a work Christmas party. We both got drunk, and nine months later, I have another baby. Oh, no. <laughs> I took four pregnancy tests because I did not want to be pregnant. Like, So this was around the same are... time you were thinking you were starting to think, like, maybe you could leave, and then you yes. were pregnant again. Okay. Yes. So because I was like, I can't be pregnant. I want to leave. Like, how did this happen? So, you know, most people are excited to be being pregnant. And here I am taking four pregnancy tests going, this cannot be happening right now. Like, how did this happen? So then I'm like, okay, I'm stuck. I have two kids. I can't leave. Like, I'm not going to be a single mother. I'm not going to do this on my own. When in reality, I already was doing it all on my own. Mm -hmm. Were you financially? I know you were working, but were you financially dependent on his income as well? Off and on, I mean, it definitely helped when he was working, but he had a hard time keeping a job as okay. well. Okay. So at one point he was not working and I was working two jobs plus doing oh. online schooling, oh plus gosh. taking care of my two kids. So that was in 2008. And then 2011, he got hurt at work and had to have surgery and he became addicted to his pain pills along with alcohol. Oh my gosh. Which is not a good combination at all. And... He wasn't working and we got evicted from our apartment because my income was not enough to support our apartment. We got hit. Well, he got his truck repoed because we couldn't afford the truck payments. He had a four wheeler that got repoed. Like we just drowned in debt. And 
we got evicted from our apartment and we oh had gosh. to go live with one of his, I'd say family friends, but it's someone that was there for him when he was growing up and kind of was like a mom figure to him, I guess you could say. And so we went and stayed with them. And while we were there, there was no physical because I feel like he wanted to like put on a show of how great life was. Mm. So Was I mean, that a relief to you? Yes and no. It was more stressful because nobody saw what was going on. Like if I would say something, they're like, he's fine. He doesn't do that stuff. Okay. And then it also was, he got very used to the life of, oh, we have no bills to pay. I'm not working. I can just drink whenever I want. Like he had no motivation to get it back on our feet again. Right. Whereas I'm looking for places to go and like, hey, let's go look at this place. Hey, let's do this. And he's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. It was like he was on this mini vacation as I'm here trying to figure out how we're going to get back on our feet again. Right. And it was when he was doing the drinking and the drugs that I'm like, is this really the life that you want? Because at that point I was, I don't know, 25 years old at this point. And I'm like, this is not how I imagined life to be. Like, you know, when you're in high school or even afterwards, you have this perfect dream of you're going to grow up, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids, you're going to have this picture perfect life. And this was not the life I had ever imagined to have. And so that's pretty much what our marriage was like. Like, we also had that cycle of things would be really good for a while. And then I'd be walking on eggshells because I didn't know what was going to make him mad that day, Mm -hmm. especially is he drunk today? Is he on the pain pills today? Is he on both? Right. How is he going to react? Like, I never knew how to approach him about anything. And like I said, we would have arguments, but nobody was ever around when we would have them. And then it was the broken promises of, I'll change. I'll stop drinking. I'll do this. I'll give you what you want. It was those promises of it'll never happen again. Right. And then it'd be back to the honeymoon phase again. So we did that cycle from, you know, we got married in 2004 And it took till 2011 for me to finally be like, no, I'm done doing this cycle. I can't do it anymore. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. What was the rock bottom, the moment that you knew that you needed to get out? It was when we got evicted and lost everything, like, and that he had no motivation to get, well, for one, to get help for Mm -hmm. his alcoholism, and that he had no motivation to get out on his own. He's like, no, we can stay here. And I'm like, the people we were living with, they also had three kids. They were older, but I was like, I felt like we were like invading their space. Yeah. So I was like, I want to get out of here. Like, yes, their house is big enough, but this isn't what I want. Yeah. I want a place of our own. But he didn't have the same dream as I did. And that's when I was like, I can't do this. If I'm going to do this on my own with you, I can do it without you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need you. Yeah. So that sense of that he was increasingly more of a liability. Than an right. Exactly. Exactly. So that was the rock bottom was I was like, you're okay with this and I'm not. So I'm done. Like, I want to go back and talk a little bit about, you said that he was physically abusive once before oh, you yes. got married and then during your marriage. So talk a little bit about like, how did you rationalize the physical abuse, the time that it happened before you got married? And like, how did you rationalize it in a place where you still felt like it was a good choice to marry him? And also once you were married, how did it kind of, you start getting into the physical abuse situations and how did those evolve over time? Sure. So before we got married, that physical altercation, I say just, but it really isn't a just bit. At that point, it wasn't as bad where he just like shoved me onto the bed and ripped my clothes off because he thought I was cheating on him then and wanted me to do sexual things and I wouldn't. Mm. And I rationalized it as he was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. And his friends even said to me, like, oh, that's not the kind of person he is. He was drunk, you know you do things when you're drunk that you don't think of. So that was my thinking was, well, as long as he's sober, I'll be yeah. safe. So that's kind of like, okay, well, we're going to get married. Maybe, you know, he, he was he young. Stop drinking. Yeah. I'm like, you know, and then especially when we had the kids, I was like, okay, maybe this will be the wake up call of, hey, yeah. there's more to life than just the drinking. And then our baby, I say our baby, in 2009, so our baby was 10 months old. 
there was an incident where my oldest was at my mom's for the weekend and I just had the baby and I was supposed to go to a going away party for one of my friends that was leaving state that lived a couple of houses down from us. And I said to him, I said, I need you to watch the baby. I'm going down the road to so-and-so's house for this party. Like I had to ask him permission to go and make sure it was okay that he was going to watch the baby. And he said, you have to put the baby to sleep first. Really? Okay. And our youngest was like the best sleeper ever. So I'm like, it's not that big of a deal to put him to bed. Like yeah. you lay him down, he'll go to sleep, especially by 10 months old. So I put him to bed and went to this party and he called me telling me the baby's crying. I can't get him to stop. I think something's wrong. So as a mother, you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with my baby? Right. So I went rushing back only to find he had drank like, he had a tall bottle of liquor. Mm-hmm. He had drank like half of it in the short period that I was gone. Oh my gosh. And I walked in the door and I said to him, I said, the baby's not crying. And he goes, oh, no, he's been sleeping this whole time. Really? You Um, just called me to come here. Like, really? You made me leave this party that I was helping throw this going away party. And he got very physical at that point. That was our worst physical one. There was punching. He slapped me across the face. He pushed me up against the wall, choked me threw me into the chair, like shoved me into the chair when I tried to fight back. I had a flip phone. I went to call 911 for help and he broke my phone. So Mm. I couldn't call for help. So we lived in an apartment. I was screaming for help in hopes that like the people above us would come. Yeah. Yeah, Either they weren't home or they didn't want to know what was going on. Mm. So I grabbed the baby and when I was walking down, like he was sleeping, but I grabbed him out of his crib and wrapped him up in a blanket and as I was walking out the door, he slapped me and he's like, you are a whore. Excuse my language. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're cheating on me at that party. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I grabbed the baby and I went back to that party because I was like, I need someone to call for help. I have no phone. Yeah. So I went back to my friends and we went into their bedroom and she's like, oh, my God, I'm calling the cops. So she called the cops and then called my mother and stuff. And the cops came and went back to the apartment with me. He wasn't there. But they had to take pictures because there was marks on my face that they're like, well, we don't know if the marks on your face because my face was red. So like, we don't know if it's marks from him slapping you or if it's from crying. But regardless, we can see a little bit of a finger imprint or, you know, an indent or outline, I should say. So they were going to take pictures. And I'm like, can you try to call him on your phone? So I tried calling him on my phone. He didn't answer. They tried calling him numerous times. And he was drinking, obviously. And he was like, I have a gun. I'm going to kill myself if she leaves. So then there was that, that manipulation of, oh my well, if you leave, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So then that was my rationality of, long story short, I needed to stay because if I left, he was going to kill himself. Oh my gosh. Like I felt I needed to stay because if I didn't, he was going to kill himself and then my kids would grow up without a dad. So that's how I rationalized everything of, oh my God, if I do this, he's going to kill himself. And that was a huge, huge weight to carry. Like knowing like, oh my God, I'm not going to be the reason that he kills himself. Like I could never live with myself if that were to happen. And that must have felt like an overwhelming sense of like, there's no way out of this. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then when you finally left, how did you leave? Where did you go? And talk about that a little bit. He was at an appointment. A doctor and how old were the kids at this point? Because this incident that you just described, your youngest was Youngest was a baby. baby. Okay. They would have been about almost three and almost five when okay. I left. So he- after this incident that you just described, which sounds horrendous, 
You I stayed, stayed another for two couple years. years. Okay. Yep. I stayed for two more years. Okay. Yes. I know it sounds horrible. People are probably like, no, what? Why? no, it but- doesn't sound horrible because Bonnie, this is like why I want to hear this because I think that it's important for us to realize for people who aren't in situations like this, we think like, why don't you just leave? And for people right. who are in situations like this, there's people who are trying to figure out like, when can I leave? How can I leave? And why haven't I already left? And so, yeah, like I'm not at all judging that you stayed. No, as long not as you at all. Did. No, um, I know that. And I don't I'm want saying, you like, to yeah. be uncomfortable in sharing any of those pieces because I think that that's the reality of domestic violence is that women stay. So exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. I know. No, Josie. I'm just like, yeah, 2009. Happened. Oh, I stayed another two years. No big deal. But it, it was a big deal. But mm-hmm. uh, he was at an appointment because at that point we had been evicted and we were living with his friends. He was at an appointment and I called my mom one day and said, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, OK, what do you want? And I said, I need you to come here. She lived a half an hour away. I said, I need you to come here. You need to help me get at least our clothes loaded up. Like, I don't care about anything else. Just get me my clothes and the boys' clothes. Yeah. So she came and we loaded up the car with the clothes and the people we were staying with came out and the one lady was actually yelling at me, like, what do you think you're doing? I'm like, I'm leaving. That's what I'm doing. Like, you're not going to make me stay here because she didn't see all the stuff that was going on. So she's mm-hmm. like, didn't know what was going on. And then he came in the driveway as I was leaving and started screaming at me, telling me, that I couldn't leave. And if I did, then I was a horrible mother. And that how could I do this to him? And how could I do this to the kids? And I froze for a moment. And I almost was like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna stay. But then I looked at my mom who had this most like disapproving look on her face, like, uh, uh-uh, I am here. <laughs> We've got your clothes, you're leaving. So I just looked at me and said, I'm done. And we left. And at that how point, did that feel? I did you because was- you had people there around you. So you know, like you probably didn't feel at risk in that moment. Did you feel strong and powerful? Was it bittersweet? Were there mixed emotions? Um, Mixed emotions. Even though there are people there, I still thought, oh my God, what if he does try to physically attack me? Okay. Because I was like, his mental state, again, being on the drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Don't know what he's going to do. Like, I don't think he'll do it, but I don't know. So I was scared for that. I was scared that he was going to come after us. Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't know where my mom lived, thank God, because she had moved during all this and he had never gone to her house. So I knew I was safe at her house, but there was still that fear of he could easily find me. And it was bittersweet because at the same time, though, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And I left. At that point, I had quit my job because trying to work jobs plus take care of the kids and do schooling online was getting to be a little much. So I wasn't working. I had no money. He had total control over all the accounts from what little money we did have saved up. He was using it towards alcohol. So I had no plan other than I was going to my mom's and I would figure it out later. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we literally just left with the two kids because I had two and a half and five and went to her house. And then we went to the courthouse and I filed divorce papers the very next day. Wow. And once I filed, I said, OK, there's no turning back. Like that was my moment of like, OK, it's finally going to be over was when I filed the divorce papers. This is so, so interesting because you mentioned that you're like, yeah, and I stayed you know, like two more years after this awful incident happened. But it also seems like when you left, I feel like a lot of people, stories that I've heard from other women, there's a lot of back and forth and like being separated for a while and going back. And it seems like you were very clear. Like once you left, I mean, you filed divorce papers within 24 hours. That's, you're not messing around. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I should back up. Um, during the marriage, I would have thoughts of leaving and I would leave for like a weekend. Okay. 
But then I'd be like, I can't do this. I need to go back mm. because he would be sending me those messages of I'm going to kill myself. Okay. Okay. So like I did try leaving, but I, like I said, I only left like a weekend. It's like, I can't do this. I guess I'll yeah. stay. Yeah. And then finally that finally breaking point, I'm like, no. And I knew that if I didn't file those divorce papers, that I probably would have went back. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, I need to get this done while I had it in my head of, nope, I'm done. I can't do this. Cause then once I filed, I'm like, okay. Like I wasn't messing around at that point. Like yeah. you said, like, nope, done. I had enough. And how did he react to you leaving and filing? He was not very pleasant. I would receive 50 to 100 text messages a day from him. Oh my gosh. Just harassing text messages to the point that I blocked his number until it took us a while from the day I filed till we had our first court hearing. And I went into the judge and I said, I blocked his number because he is harassing me. He is drunk. I would not let him see the kids. I'm like, nope, you are not seeing these kids until we go before the judge because I didn't want him alone with these kids Mm -hmm. because he was drinking. Right. So he would send me messages. And then once I blocked his number, he would send me emails. And they were just harassing of how horrible of a mother I was, that I was making the biggest mistake of my life, that I would regret it, that he would make me pay for it. I still don't know what that means. Well, I had an idea of what he meant, but I didn't want to think about what he meant yeah. as far as, you know, getting revenge, so to speak. Right. So it was terrible after I left. Like he said, Did he know he where you mean. were? Were you worried he was no. going to come find you? I was worried he'd come find me, but he didn't know where I was. He didn't okay. know where my mom lived, but I still okay. had that fear of he could show up here at any minute yeah. to which my mom would say, let him come here. I will call the cops. Mm-hmm. It's plain and simple. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but like I always had that constant fear of what if. Right. The what if was very hard. Yeah. That would be very scary. So how long ago was that when you left? 2011. Okay. So I know a lot of things have happened between 2011 and now. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh, right? Because you've been sharing some updates with us on social media on our private Facebook groups for the Shameless Mom Academy. So share a little bit about what has happened since 2011 and where things stand now. Sure. So in our Mm. divorce took from 2011 till 2013. It was a very long process. He only was awarded visitation every other weekend from 10 to 6, no overnights, and it had to be supervised because of the drinking. And it was in our divorce that once he did six months sober of supervised visits, then he could work up to unsupervised. And he did that. He did be sober for six months. So we worked up to him having the kids. And How did you in, feel about that? Did you trust him? <sighs> like, I mean, even though he was supposedly sober, were you trusting that he was safe? Um. So at that point... I didn't let him start having them unsupervised right at the six months mark. I think I made him wait like a year and a half or so. Okay. It had to have been because that was 2013 and it was 2015 before I started letting him. I'm like, okay, you've proved it. You know, we'll make this work. And at that point, my oldest, we were having some behavioral issues and we found out he has a mood disorder Mm. and ADHD. So that was a very difficult time for me. So at that point, I'm like, fine, just take them. I need my break. (laughs) Like at some point, I'm like, you can have them for the day. I don't care. Just go because I needed my own mental health. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, hey, 
everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Day, like. Yeah. So I would let them go. And then December of 2015... He was intoxicated and sent some messages to a mutual friend of ours saying inappropriate things that he wanted to do to our two boys and went into detail about what he wanted and that he has fantasies about incest. And she's like, oh, my God. She immediately forwarded them to me. She's like, I don't know what to do about this, but you need to know about this. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And at that time, I was working for school, and I was walking into the building when I got these messages. And I stood in the parking lot. It was winter in Wisconsin, below zero weather. And I just stood there. I froze. I read these messages, and I didn't even know what to do. And a coworker came up to me. She's like, Bonnie, are you okay? And I said, no, I don't know what to do. And she read them, and she goes, okay, for one, you're a state-mandated reporter. You work for the school. You need to report this to Child Protective Services. For two, you're the, your mother you need to report this. So I had to make the horrible call to CPS. I, to this day, do not know how they understood my statement because I was bawling the whole time. But they understood it. And the county had to get involved. And he was not allowed to see them from December 2015 till like February of 2016. And then they said, okay, you can see them, but it has to be supervised. Somebody from the state was going to come every two hours to give him a breathalyzer to make sure he was sober. And he was doing that fine. We weren't having any issues. And then my oldest came home. Oh, my gosh. She probably would have been like 10. Came home and said, oh, dad took us out for pizza. And I said, oh, who went with you? Because he's not supposed to be unattended with them. And he's like, nobody. What do you mean? I said, oh, my God. So I called CPS back and said, look, he took the kids out for pizza. He's not supposed to be without them or without supervision. So he has not seen them since may of 2016 they immediately said nope you cannot see them you couldn't even follow the orders of supervised visits so until you get sober and you get your own mental health figured out you cannot see these kids and there was a protection order in place through the county that they only usually do for like a year to 18 months and after that they would hope that they don't have to have it anymore well ours was continuing on to the point that the county said he is not going to get help we are done having this protective order in place. Mm-hmm. We're not worried about the kids. They're with their mother. She's going to therapy. They're going to therapy. Like, we have no doubts that these kids are safe with their mother. Yeah. So then the family courts took it over, and they kept giving them conditions of, okay, you need to do this. You need to get sober. You need to go see a sex therapist to see if you have, like, some sex addiction. Like, there are some big red flags that they knew that he needed to get help. And we were going to court every, oh, my God, six to eight weeks 
to oh see gosh. if so it was exhausting. I joked that it was my second house and I should probably just work there because I probably knew more than some of the people that worked there. Because <laughs> wow. I was like, oh, nope, I know where I'm going. Don't worry about it. And he was making progress. So I was like, okay, we're going to be doing this. And then he took just one huge step backwards and in was back to drinking again, sending me messages. I should back up. The Because of all the harassment that he was doing, the courts have, well, there's this program called Our Family Wizard. And it's kind of like an email back and forth type thing. But you can also put in like any appointments coming up, any school related information, teachers, doctors information. And that's how we communicated because the courts then can actually log in and they can see all the conversations to make sure that the content was appropriate between the two of us. Because I had taken in messages at one point saying like, these are the text messages he is sending me. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, no. I mean, it costs a hundred dollars a year, but I didn't care because it was a hundred dollars worth that I knew that he was not going to send me inappropriate right. harassing messages anymore. Yeah. So we had that going on. And then December 2017, we went back and, that's when he took that big step backwards of being drunk all the time. And the courts were like, you know what? We have had temporary orders from 2015 to 2017. You're done coming back here every six to eight weeks. We are entering a final order. She has full custody along with obviously the full placement. If you do not get help and you do not come back within a year, she can terminate your rights. Because I said, if you are not going to get help for yourself and if your kids are not going to be the reason to get help for you, there's no hope for you. Like, if your kids aren't going to be the reason why you get help, then right. we don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, there's not, like, like, a bigger reason that would exist. Yeah. They're like, we could tell you to, you know, go mm-hmm. check into inpatient, but us telling you isn't going to make you be the reason. That's not going to be the reason you do it, and you're not going to be as successful in that. Yeah. Because then you're only doing it for the court's sake. You're not doing it for yourself. Right. So the year went on, and just December of 2018, our year passed, and he still was drunk all the time. And I said to my boyfriend, I said, I think I'm going to file for terminating his rights. And my boyfriend said to me, he goes, you do what you want to do. I'm supportive either way. He's like, if you feel that you're in a good place to go through this, go for it. But if not, nothing changes. He still can't see the kids. There's still that final order in place. Well, we had a court hearing for child support because that wasn't being paid. And as we were walking out, he flat out said to me, oh yeah, I'm still drinking. And I went, you know what? Nope, I'm done. Like you just gave me the perfect thing I needed to hear that. Yeah. I had thought he was drinking, but again, I never saw him. I didn't talk to him, but I just had this feeling that he was still drinking. Mm-hmm. And then when he said it, I'm like, that's it. So I filed for termination of rights and it just got granted that his rights are terminated. He did not show up to either court date, which to me brought on a lot of emotions. Like I'm sure some people would be like, oh, that's got to be a relief for you. But part of me was mad. Yeah. I'm like, how could you not come and fight for your kids? Right. Like, that just shows how far the alcoholism had taken over his life. Right. So that's where we're at now. I have full custody, full placement, and I am the only one with parental rights to my two boys, which is a hard thing to do in Wisconsin. Yeah. And that's something yes. that you've shared in Momentum Mamas is that it's like the laws and how protected parents' rights are varies from state to state. And you had mentioned that in Wisconsin, it's extremely challenging to terminate a parent's rights. Um, yes. And you, you did it. So that's a huge milestone and a huge win. Um, yes. And a testament to your 
tremendously long journey and hard work for sure. Talk a little bit about the impact to your kids. So the youngest, well, he actually doesn't even remember us being married. So he did not see or hear a lot of it. He was mad at me for leaving his dad because I broke up the, you know, the happy family. My oldest saw happy family in air quotes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I totally just did the air quotes, by the way. (laughs) Totally did. My oldest, he saw and heard more than I thought he did. Mm -hmm. Like as time goes on, he will tell me things. And I'm like, you heard that? He remembers the day that I left. He drew a picture in therapy. And I'm like, what is that? And it was his dad yelling at me, me putting the kids in the car, like, because he is a very much so an artist. He loves to draw. That's how he expresses himself. So, yeah, he has a lot of emotional trauma from it all because he, like I said, he lives through a lot of it. Yeah. So that's the impact. And we go to therapy every week (laughs) because that's how we manage it. Like, we go to therapy and I strongly suggest therapy for like everybody. So huge. And I think that I'm just so glad that you're doing that. And I think that that was like one of the biggest things I wanted to make sure that we got to in this conversation was talking (laughs) about like that, that has to happen. And even if you have, you know, you make a good point that your youngest doesn't remember you being married. And that doesn't mean that just because a child doesn't remember trauma or didn't witness it firsthand, like if, you know, if he was a baby, mostly sleeping in the other room and all the bad stuff went down, that doesn't mean that there wasn't trauma to him. So just being in that environment is very traumatic. Just as like, especially a mom's connection to a baby is so biological that the stress on you from the abusive relationship and just having that stress while you were pregnant and that stress while you were nursing and that stress while you were nurturing this baby, all of that gets passed on to him. And so exactly. Yeah. So like, I think it's so valuable that you have them both in therapy so that they can be working through this. And I'm sure it's a long ongoing process for all three of you. Do you all do therapy separately then? Yes, we all do it separately. I go a completely different day than they do because I just want my own time driving there and on my way back. So that's like my own little therapeutic time. And they go separately. If they at any point are like digging into like a deeper conversation or whatever, like they'll say that they're a therapist can my mom come back here? And Mm. she has no problem coming and getting me. And sometimes she'll say to me, she's like, Bonnie, he just needs a hug. Like we're processing this. He just needs a hug. He just needs you to be sitting by him. So we're very much involved and they do their own thing. And their therapist keeps me in the loop if it's like some major thing that she thinks I should be aware of. But otherwise, I really tell both of them, you tell her whatever you want. That is your safe place. I don't need to know unless you say something that's going to be like, that could harm you. Like if they're having thoughts of self-harm or something, then obviously she'll tell me. But I really want that to know that that's their safe place. They can tell her whatever they want. It's safe. Yeah, that's so important. Let's talk a little bit about getting into a new relationship. (laughs) How does one one get into a new relationship after leaving such a challenging and dangerous and volatile and like all these things? Like, how do you go about that? So interesting enough, long story short, my current boyfriend and I, we've know each other for like eight years we dated shortly after I left like mm-hmm. I was still in the process of divorce when we started dating he was working he does a DJ company and he was actually at a bar that I went to and we just started talking and started hanging out and we dated for like I don't know like six to seven months and it was hard and he actually said to me he's like you know what 
you have way too much going on. You're trying to adjust to being a single mom. You're trying to get your schooling done. You're working full time plus going through this divorce. He goes, I need you to focus on you. Like I'll still be your friend, but we need to break up. Mm. And I took that as nobody wants me. I'm the single mother. So that was really bad. And then I actually got into a different relationship and got engaged to that person. And it was not a healthy relationship. Again, it was a controlling relationship and not physical, but definitely the emotional was there. And then when I left that engagement, I was talking to my current boyfriend that whole time. Like he was my lifelong friend through everything. And then when I left the ex-fiance, we just kind of started hanging out and we're like, you know, let's try this again. I'm in a totally different place now. I've got the divorce done. I'm done with school. And mentally and emotionally, I was in a different place. And it's been challenging, though, because going from the very abusive relationship to a not so good engagement to a very healthy relationship is night and day. Mm. So it's been adjustment to this day. There are some times that I will shut down and I have a hard time speaking up about like what's bothering me because I don't know how he's going to react. Now, he's the most supportive person I have ever met in my life. And he gets frustrated with me when I won't communicate. <laughs> like That's <laughs> our biggest thing. He's like, Bonnie, talk to me. I want to know. Wow. And I'm like, but I don't want you to make me, you know, I'm like, I don't want you to think I'm stupid. He goes, um, if you think I'm going to think you're stupid, we have bigger issues. Like, you know, he's like, you need to be able to talk to me. Yeah. So that's been like a learning experience of like, oh, this is how a normal, healthy relationship is supposed to go. And okay. I would imagine like, it's tremendously valuable going back to the therapy piece. Like you're in therapy right now. So now you have a place where you can process like how to be in a healthy relationship and yes establishing your work your worth with healthy boundaries and all those kinds of things yes and like she helps me because I'm like I need to tell him this like okay going to Seattle for shameless mom con I was scared as heck to tell him and then when I told him he went yeah whatever and I'm like really that's your reaction is okay whatever like I'm like oh that's not the reaction I thought you were gonna have that's not the reaction you've historically gotten from, yeah, from other like, men, not from him, but from other people. Exactly. So, but the therapist was like, Bonnie, he's not your exes. Like, yeah. it's going to be okay. And if he does respond in a negative way, then you know where you need to set boundaries. You'd be like, yeah, this is what I need to do. Like, yes. she goes, even if he responds in a negative way, there's a bigger conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been an experience. I said, like, I thank my therapist because she has gotten me so far in the last year that it's just been amazing. Yeah. What do you want to say to other women who might be in abusive relationships right now and don't see a way out or are trying to figure out? That's a heavy one. My biggest thing is they just need to know that they're not alone and don't blame yourself. I blamed myself so much and I was so hard on myself and I thought that there was nowhere to go and that there was nobody there to help me. At that point, I didn't see a way out, Mm -hmm. but just, it's just important to not blame yourself. It's very easy to blame yourself, but also even maybe get into therapy before you actually leave. So you have that outside support because when I went through it, I was not seeing a therapist. And I think that had I been seeing a therapist when I left going through, you know, the divorce and stuff that maybe emotionally it would have been, I don't want to say easy because it's not an easy thing, but that therapist could help me navigate it a little bit more. Yeah, that's so a really great piece of advice. That outside person's really going to, and as a therapist, cause you're going to have your family there, but the family's going to be biased. Like they're going to take your side and everything else. So you just want that therapist to really be there to help. And just the recovery process is hard, but 
it's worth it. Like yes. I never to this day would have thought that I would be here one speaking to schools to right. having an interview, like never would have thought, but right. it's just been amazing. And so now that's what I kind of want to wrap up with is talk a little bit about how you decided that you wanted to start talking about this, because I feel like you have not been shy. Like you were like, I'm going to pitch the boys and girls club. And then I'm going to pitch my kid's <laughs> school. And like yesterday you did a talk with your kid right next to you. And then you came and pitched a podcast. So curious what inspired that? So I've been wanting to speak out for a couple of years now, but I never felt like one, my story was good enough. I don't know. Like you hear the abuse stories and you hear like, mine was a horrible experience. Don't get me wrong. But there are ones that are out there that are 10 times worse, not to compare them, but I was like, it wasn't as bad as it was, you know? Mm. And I also was shameful about it. And I don't know within like something was said in momentum. I know just on the regular, there's a train going by. <laughs> um, <laughs> we like trains. We're a train friendly podcast. <laughs> like, uh, I just woke up one day and I was like, I'm going to do this. Somebody had said something on the shameless mom Academy private page. And I was like, you know what? I don't remember what it was, but it motivated me. Cause I'm like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to speak out. And I had thought about emailing people and somebody on the Shameless Mom Academy page offered suggestions of like reaching out to the Boys and Girls Club, reaching out to Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought about it for two days and then I woke up and I still had that strong feeling. I'm like, okay, I've thought about it. This isn't just a spur of the moment thing. Like it's obviously on my heart and I'm now in a place that I can do this. So I emailed people was expecting to get no's and I got yeses. And as That's the yeses the came thing. in. Like we have to talk about that for a minute because everyone assumes yep. they're going to get no's. And this is like in relationship in your own situation and across the board in like all life circumstances, I think that women in particular, we think we're going to get no's when we ask to be seen in certain ways. And usually you get yeses. <laughs> and, yes. And the no's that you get, it's like no big deal. There's other opportunities out there. So I just love that you didn't wait, you didn't sit on it. You just were like, well, I'm going to try and see what happens. And I think you've gotten like almost yeses from almost everywhere, if not everywhere that you've asked. I have. And today, actually, I got a reply from a local organization in the county that wants me, I reached out and said, you know, do you have any volunteer opportunities to speak? And they said, all employees and even volunteers go through like a training type thing just to be an advocate and that they would like me to come do that. And as well as they do a survivor panel where three people wow. tell their story and the audience, you answer questions and they would like me to go do that. So that one's like, I still haven't, that one hasn't sunk in yet. But <laughs> That's amazing. So like I said, everybody I reached out to, like that one I reached out to a few weeks ago and I never heard back and they just followed up more like, they're like, we're sorry. We were having internet issues. Like, totally because I was like oh well that one's a no whatever but they're yeah. like no no it was not a no like we didn't even get your email yeah I'm like oh okay so and something yeah. I want to point out that I think is really important is that when we have something significant like a story along these lines that someone can relate to or someone could find hope in when we hold that to ourselves because we're scared to put it out there or we're scared to ask people because we're afraid of getting a no we aren't able to impact others. And so by you putting yourself out there and deciding like, I'm just going to ask and see what happens. You've been able to impact other families 
way faster. So like these kids who you're talking to in schools who are coming up to you after you get done with your talks and saying like, this is happening in my house and what should I do? Those are kids that could have otherwise maybe gone on in those situations for years. And now they have a point of contact and a connection and some context around what's going on and how they can get help and support. And so I think that sometimes to have impact and to help the people who most desperately need help, we have to get over our own egos and our own fears and remember that someone really needs to hear our story. Yeah. And my first speech was at the Boys and Girls Club. And when I was done, a girl came up to me, gave me a hug. And she just thanked me. She goes, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. And I thought, you know what? That right there is all I needed. Like either she's lived it or, you know, she's gone through it or something. She knows somebody. I'm like, I could have just made a difference in this girl's life. Yeah. And same with yesterday and today at the schools, the kids coming up afterwards. I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing it. Right. Like, I don't care how hard it is because it is hard to talk about to these seventh graders, but it's worth it. Right. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me nervous, but it's all worth it in the end if I'm making a difference in even one family's life. Exactly. Like it's one girl that hopefully will never have to go through it or can get out and see like, hey, I can get out. This isn't the way my life has to be. Right. So it makes it all worth it. Tell us in what ways you're a shameless mom. You know, I really had to think on that one. (laughs) I mean, come on. The rest of us all have thought of a million reasons while we've been listening to this. (laughs) I know. I really like every time you ask someone, I'm like, I don't know. So I'm going to go with that. I've gotten to this point that I'm good with saying to my kids, mom needs a break. You need to leave mom alone. Like I own that. I'm like, I have realized that my self-care is just as important as their care Yeah. because I always put like throughout this whole journey, I was always focusing on my kids. And now I've gotten to the point that I'm like, you know what? No, I need to focus on me too. So Mm -hmm. I'm totally okay with saying, I'm going to my bedroom. You need to leave me alone. (laughs) So that's how I'm shameless. I take that time for me and I don't feel guilty about it. I used to, but now I'm like, whatever. I don't care. (laughs) Like fight. You can leave me alone for these 15 minutes. Like, (laughs) I hear nothing. Tell people where we can find you. If someone wants to connect with you and learn more from you, where can they reach out and where can they? I just started an Instagram account that is solely for this purpose of domestic violence. It's called Bonnie May 0908. So what I'm posting on there is just statistics, places to get help, warning signs of all the different kinds of abuse and also uplifting quotes and like motivational quotes of like sometimes you just have that bad day that you need to just read that one inspirational thing of like, oh, it's not so bad. Like, so that's where they can find me. I love it. It's just on Instagram. I love it. Bonnie, you are doing such great things. And I'm so, so excited for the momentum that you're creating in your life. And I'm ridiculously proud of you. I don't feel, I mean, I feel weird saying I'm proud of you because I feel like that means I'm assuming some credit in it. You've done so much of this on your own and you've taken the ball by the horn. So Thank you. Thank you for being here. This was tremendously helpful and inspiring. And thank you for allowing me to do this. It's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued 
over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.